Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call and just because I can speak a little French doesn't make me a bad person, right? Remember to check out the website howgooditis.com and the Twitter and the Instagram and of course the Facebook page which you can find over at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. And if you can swing it, please consider uh, supporting the show as a patron. For just $5 a month, you get the weekly newsletter with the week's music news, a little bit of my opinions, and the history calendar. Just a little diversionary thank you on my part for your support. Click the link on the website or point your browser to patreon.com slash howgooditis. Did you know that one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That means it could be you, maybe the driver in front of you, or the other guy that's trying to get in front of you. With early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Ooh, I've got some tricky trivia for ye this week. Now, when we think of punk rock, we usually think of the, the Sex Pistols or the Dead Kennedys. But while those bands emerged in the mid-1970s, the phrase actually goes back much further than those bands to another group. What band was originally associated with punk music? I will have that answer and the story behind it at the end of the show. Today, we're looking at Psycho Killer, the Talking Heads song from their debut album, Talking Heads 77. That's the one with the all-red cover on it. Now, while the song made its recorded debut in 1977, in fact, it goes back to 1971, when band leader David Byrne and drummer Chris France were attending the Rhode Island School of Design. By 1973, they had formed a band called The Artistics, and it was during that time that Byrne decided he wanted to write a song that was eh, part Alice Cooper and part Randy Newman type ballad. At that time, Alice Cooper was pretty much all there was when it came to shock rock. Plus, according to Byrne, the bad guys are usually more interesting anyway. Byrne decided that he really wanted to get into the head of a deranged murderer, so he started putting the first verse together, which sets the guy up as a pretty paranoid person, and at the same time, He's kind of introspective. Now, when Byrne first presented the song to the band, he said that he wanted the bridge to be in Japanese. The problem was, when he asked a girl who spoke Japanese to come up with some murderous lyrics, she got a little bit freaked out. Fortunately, Tina Weymouth, who was already France's girlfriend at the time, spoke French, so she wrote a French bridge instead. That makes Psycho Killer the only song on the Talking Heads debut album that wasn't composed solely by David Byrne. And it was almost certainly because of that that Byrne added in the qu'est-ce to the chorus, which means, what is this? Byrne also added in the warning to run away using a stuttering pattern... That was almost certainly lifted from this Otis Redding track. That track is called Fa 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 or Sad Songs in parentheses. Now, I don't know that 100% for sure, but given what huge fans of Reading and soul singers in general, both Byrne and France are, 
It makes a lot of sense. By 1974, the Artistics were playing the song in their shows now and then, and after France and Weymouth graduated from Rhode Island, they moved in with Byrne in a slummy apartment on Avenue A and 7th Street in New York City. It had no hot water, no shower, a bathroom they had to share with other tenants. There was a heat wave and a garbage strike that first summer but it was also only three and a half blocks from CBGB's. It was around then that Weymouth became the band's bass player and the group's name was changed to the Talking Heads. In May of 1975, they managed to get some gigs at CBGB's opening for the Ramones and Psycho Killer was part of their playlist along with Warning Sign and a cover of Question Mark and the Mysterians' 96 Tears. And if you think I didn't try like a maniac to get some audio of that to share with you, you would be sadly mistaken. There was a video floating around of the early talking heads at CBGB, but it seems to have vanished. I think it took a copyright strike. It was also around that time that they cut a demo of the song for CBS. And this is the earliest known recording of the band with the full lineup. So at that point, the song is, is pretty much fully formed. It's got a little bit of tweaking to be done, but it's, it's pretty much there. All right, I kind of glossed over something a minute ago, so let me come back to that. I mentioned that Tina Weymouth came up with some French lyrics for the bridge. Now, I hope you don't think I meant the qu'est-ce part, although that's certainly French. No, the part I'm talking about is this. wondering what kind of weird lyrics she came up with when you were singing this song because you didn't realize it's all French. So what he's singing is this, and for a change, I may not completely mangle a foreign language. Ce jeu que je fais, ce soir-là, ce qu'elle a dit ce soir-là, réalisant mon espoir, je me lance vers la gloire, ok, which roughly translates to, and I will just kind of recite along. What I did that night. night. 
what she said that night. Fulfilling my hopes. I launch myself to glory, okay? And that pretty much confirms that the target of our psycho killer is a woman. Now, when the band got into the studio, they had producers uh, Tony Bongiovi, who is a cousin to the rock star with the same last name, and Lance Quinn. And the word is that the band didn't really get along with uh, Bongiovi very well. Chris Franz has said that Bongiovi once got a carving knife from the studio kitchen for Burn to hold while he sang so he could get in character. Byrne turned him down, and the band eventually started working on the album late at night so that they could avoid working with him. Now, there were two versions of the song recorded during these sessions, and they both appear on the 45 as back-to-back tracks. The B-side appears to be the version they recorded first. It's largely acoustic, but it's got a neat addition to it in the form of a cello played by Arthur Russell. Have a listen. Cello gives it a nice sinister kind of sound, doesn't it? They did like it, but they had to persuade Bon Jovi and Lance Russell to record it the way that it was eventually released. So the single was released in uh, December of 1977, and there may have been a real-life event that affected its popularity. You see, just a few months earlier, a guy named David Berkowitz was terrorizing New Yorkers and had already killed six people and wounded seven others before he was finally apprehended on August 10th of that year. Because of the gun he was using, he was originally called the 44 caliber killer, but a letter he sent to the police essentially mocking them was released to the press, and based on what was in that letter, he was almost immediately called the Son of Sam. So when Psycho Killer was released just a couple months later, it was immediately connected to the Son of Sam, and a lot of people thought the song was about him. But of course, you and I know it had been written years early. At any rate, the song only made it to number 92 on the Billboard Hot 100, though it was top 20 in Belgium and the Netherlands. But in Burns' view, the fact that it charted at all was a good thing because it meant that there was an audience for his rather quirky stuff. He thought at the time that it was kind of a silly song, but it had clearly connected with somebody. All right, as far as covers of the song, there are lots of them out there, uh, including versions by Velvet Revolver, Fish, Cage the Elephant, and this one from 2009. Say, fa 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 f
This is the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain performing at the 2009 BBC Proms. Now, it's not proms the way you think of fancy high school dances. The formal name is the Henry Wood Promenade Concerts, and it's an eight-week summer season of classical music concerts held at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain, at least in this particular case, is made up of nine musicians all playing ukuleles. It is definitely worth your while to check out the whole thing, especially when they get to that bridge, and I will make sure that there's a link on the website. Now, in 1980, a band out of Massachusetts called The Fools put together a parody song, which they included as a bonus 45 with their debut album. In 2017, Selena Gomez sampled the song's bass line for her single, Bad Liar. Trying to distract myself, but then I see your face. Oh wait, that's someone else. Trying to play a coy, trying to make it disappear. But just like the Battle of Troy, there's nothing subtle here. In my room, there's a king-size space, bigger than it used to be. For what it's worth, David Byrne was okay with it, largely because the song doesn't have any sentimental value to him, like, say, this must be the place. He told Rolling Stone magazine, yeah, other than that, repurpose the stuff. And just for the laughs, let me share this with you from 2019. the song rendered by an 8-bit music emulator. 8-Bit Arcade is an anonymous studio project that specializes in making 8-bit instrumental covers of popular songs. So this is what it would have sounded like in a 1980s grade video game. How about that? And now... It's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you what band was first associated with punk rock. Well, believe it or not, the phrase goes back to 1971 when Cream editor Dave Marsh was writing about a band that had already come and gone and was attempting to make a comeback. Rudy Martinez joined up with his brother's band in the early 1960s, and he quickly became the creative force in that band. They had a gritty garage band-like sound that was blended with pop, and it was often driven by the Vox Continental electric organ played by Frank Rodriguez. They weren't especially a successful band until Rudy talked a DJ into playing one of their B-sides, and from there, it took six months to grow from a regional hit 
into a national one, climbing up the Billboard chart to the number one position in October of 1966. They had a few minor hits after that, including the one you hear now called I Need Somebody. But they're generally considered a one-hit wonder. The band broke up a few months after their label was shot down for stock manipulation in 1969, but reformed in 1971 with two guitars and no keyboards. And that's when they came to the attention of Dave Marsh, who used the phrase punk rock when he wrote about Question Mark and the Mysterians. During the 70s through the early 2000s, the band has kind of come and gone, including re releasing a recording of a reunion concert in 1984 and a collaboration with rapper Saltine, a.k.a. The Mad Rapper, in 1992 on a hip-hop remake of 96 Tears. And now you know why I was so hot to get a copy of Talking Heads singing 96 Tears for today's show. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. That'd be nice. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. If you want to get in touch with the show, email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com. I got to play catch up with the emails, so please forgive me if I haven't responded to you. Or if you can follow the show on Twitter, do so. Or Instagram, do that at howgooditis. You can also uh, visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod, or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. We're always up there in that featured section. I've got a bunch of listeners from Podcast Republic. Thank you guys so much. Next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when Mr. Mister teaches us a traveler's prayer. Confused? You won't be when you get the entire story. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time.